Hello, and welcome back to Movie Remake Time, a Filmmaker's Compass podcast where we take a look at sequels, reboots, and remakes and ask the very simple question, who did it better? I'm CP, this is D-Man, and this week we are going to be talking about, well, two reboots to one of the greatest movies ever, Ghostbusters. Those, in fact, are Ghostbusters Answer the Call from 2016 and Ghostbusters Afterlife, which just came out a few weeks ago in the movie theaters. D-Man, let's get into this. This is actually an episode that I've been waiting to do because we had Ghostbusters Afterlife marked on our calendars. Even though, you know, this does come up on this show because we talk about the new movies that are coming out. Dune, we still have Matrix pegged for later. And I think Top Gun, you know, we're waiting for some of these movies. It's very exciting. Ghostbusters Afterlife was one of those movies. We wanted to see they have now officially rebooted Ghostbusters twice. So there's the 2016 female-led complete reboot. It literally takes a lot of the plot points from the original 1984 Ghostbusters. It does have a different spin on the whole thing. You know, they don't have the same names or, you know, they're not the same characters. It's a lot of the same plot beats, locations, things like that. Yeah. Now we have Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is a sequel. I, if you're, you know, listening, I have my, you know, air quotes up, but it's a sequel but really another reboot and this one doesn't really follow the exact plot beats but it borrows heavily from the yeah. original so even though like the location the characters everything appears different there are a lot of elements that are the same so it's fascinating because i mean a third <laughs> ghostbusters movie has been in the works for probably close to like 30 years oh, so at least you know 84 and then i don't know what year the sequel ghostbusters 2 came out but ghostbusters answer the call came out in 2016 and afterlife came out in 2021 you know people have been waiting patiently for a ghostbusters sequel for about three days <laughs> yeah, yeah ghostbusters just for the audience out there before you start telling us what we don't we're talking about ghostbusters 2 was 1989 okay there we go so even though that would put at about like 25 years, roughly. The point is people have been waiting for this. And so I guess, and we'll go ahead and preface this. Why did a Ghostbusters 3 with the original cast not happen? And apparently after doing research for this episode, I found out uh, Bill Murray was pretty non-committal about doing a sequel, even though Dan Aykroyd's been in favor of it for years. He's been working on a treatment, a script. They've had it in the works for a very long time. Because they couldn't get full commitment from the entire Ghostbusters crew, they ended up deciding not to make it mm -hmm. that led sony to just go ahead and say you know what if everybody's getting older now it doesn't really seem like a viable option we're gonna go ahead and remake the original ghostbusters we're gonna bring in four new comedians that was the start of the reboot process before we dive into the elements of the different movies and, and how they stack up something i want to talk to you about is fan bases all okay. right yeah so you have a fan base and and let's face it ghostbusters and we talked about this because we did a uh, total rewind on ghostbusters the iconography and the cultural influence that ghostbusters had is massive if you look at cp's shirt you know if you're a listener and you can't see it right now he's got the ghostbusters logo if you're listening right now i guarantee you probably know what that logo <laughs> looks like it's a ghost in the cancel sim it's funny because the influence was so high that ghostbusters fans still exist to this day even 
even though it's gone through different iterations that weren't movies, the cartoon, video games, things like that, that kind of kept the fandom going, people wanted another movie. So here's what I want to get to. They decided to reboot it. And the moment they announced that it was going to be for female Ghostbusters, the backlash was very severe. I wanted to ask you, having watched the film again, do you think that actually has anything to do with the poor reception? Or, you know, was it just not the best movie? I mean, because if you want, I, I can, I'll kick it off where I will say that I think it being female driven actually did influence people's perception of the film. It had this kind of negative connotation attached to it as it was being promoted. Now, whether or not I know people talk about toxic fandom and this and that, whatever. The point is that unfortunately, I think it did hurt the film's performance where if the studio had handled it maybe a slightly different way, they might have been able to actually get those people maybe more on board with a reboot, but they didn't. Considering that that these are some of the leading comedians of the time that this film was made. They so happen to be female. Sony never seemed to present this as, hey, new comedians for a new generation. I yep, think that I at totally some agree. point, Hollywood Reporter article or something came out that talked about female Ghostbusters. Society started spinning this thing out of control, which is, this is Sony's attempt to make the Ghostbusters woke and yeah. I don't want to be any part of it. As opposed right. to if they had just said, hey, these comedians are huge and yeah, they're Stars in their own SNL, right. There's some from blockbuster comedies yeah. from the stand-up comedians. Yeah, this is not just a run-of-the-mill like, hey, look, we're just casting these as female act. These are comedians who happen to be women. Right, and I think it's it's interesting because had the narrative been that, that they wanted to find some top comedians, guess what? It happened to be female. I think people would have been like, okay, like this could still be really funny. It could be really good. Whether it is or not, we'll dive into that later. The problem was that the way the public, you know, the reception to the news of a female-driven Ghostbusters was that the only reason they were doing it was to make them female. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was a narrative I don't think obviously they were prepared for. I don't think they anticipated that type of reaction. That is probably not a fair reaction, right? Even though it happened. It's one of those things that I think as a studio, you have to be aware of your fandom and you have to be aware of how you go about doing these things. Because for instance, another movie that was universally just anticipated was Star Wars Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because, you know, here's my Star Wars reference again. It's like every episode. (laughs) But like the anticipation for Star Wars was high. Disney's marketing team and Lucasfilm had been able to, you know, really connect with the fan base leading up to that film. Whatever your opinions are on Force Awakens, they did a great job of getting people on board with this quote unquote reboot. Watching the film, I don't I don't think it being female-driven actually affects the outcome. I think these are really great comedians. Where I know, yeah, some people are going to jump in and be like, oh, yeah, it's just the woke the woke mob trying to insert X here and do this and that. And I'm like, I, I didn't get that vibe. I felt like it was just like Ghostbusters. They got Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd. Now, granted, the other two aren't necessarily known for huge comedic chops at the time, but they were all really funny mm-hmm. in the original Ghostbusters, Egon and Winston. I mean, that's definitely part of the issue. I do think it's funny because when you look at the reviews of the four Ghostbusters films, actually the second highest reviewed film is Ghostbusters Afterlife. Wait, you said Afterlife. Are you talking about Answer the Call? Yeah, sorry. 
Sorry, everybody. Ghostbusters <laughs> answer the call. I gotta clarify. The second highest rated film. Okay. Afterlife is third, and then Ghostbusters two is the lowest. Answer the call was a box office failure. Where Afterlife seems like it is a huge success. I don't know that it's necessarily the sex thing. I think the other part of the coin that we didn't talk about yet is the fact that for a fandom, we have wanted to see a Ghostbusters movie that is closing the chapter on four characters that we love. Yep. And the outright reboot did not give us the closure that we wanted. It didn't give us that moment of getting to see four Ghostbusters on the screen, busting ghosts one last time before they die. I think especially for fans watching Ghostbusters answer the call, when you're like, you mean you managed to get Bill Murray in this, you managed to get Dan Aykroyd in this, you managed to get Ernie Hudson in this. Why couldn't we get them into a Ghostbusters movie? I don't understand. You know, a, a part of it is Egon had uh, passed away, Harold Ramis. I'm sure there's an element of like, when you're younger and you're a huge movie star, you're probably like, oh, you know, if maybe if the time's ever right, thinking to yourself, I don't want to do that right now. With the passing of, you know, one of your co-stars and realizing that you're getting older and kind of like, you know, if we are ever going to do this, we should probably do it mm -hmm. now. You know, obviously a lot of people, a lot of reports have pointed to Bill Murray as kind of being that person. He was the holdout. Mm -hmm. It wasn't necessarily in favor of coming back. And I get it. A lot of stars say that they don't want to make sequels or revisit past work unless there's a really kind of good reason to. And you just brought up that reason. Closure. And that's what Afterlife gives fans and the franchise is a sense of closure for the original Ghostbusters and almost this sense of passing the torch to a new generation. We can now make movies that don't have the original cast because we got the closure we all wanted. Mm -hmm. That is something that, you know, again, I look right at Star Wars here. I remember seeing they had like a table read photo of all the original stars and the new cast all together. Yeah. yeah. Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Peter Mayhew, Kenny Baker, Anthony, like they're all there. Anthony Daniels. It, it was amazing. And yet in three movies, they were unable to bring that cast together to get them all together, whether it was on the Millennium Falcon or they were at the Rebel base, they couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, during those three films, unfortunately, Kenny Baker, Peter Mayhew, and Carrie Fisher all passed away. Billy D. Williams, Lando Calrissian did join later. To your point, I don't think Star Wars was truly able to give the fans that closure that they wanted. And when we look at Afterlife, and especially that final showdown. That's what we've been waiting for for 40 years. Yeah, and like, I get it. The guys are old. They were old in Star Wars too. Mm -hmm. So like they show up, they they actually have this shot where Gozer does like her shocks or whatever. Oh, I, I said her, but they actually, again, <laughs> reference that she's not a she. But uh, Gozer sends shocks out. They all get knocked over. But I even when I was in the movie theater, I was like, of course, those are stuntmen. Like there's yeah. no way <laughs> they made these old guys like, you know, throw their <laughs> yeah. bodies on the line for one stunt. Being able to do that, I think elevates afterlife even though I actually am not in the camp, I didn't hate the new reboot. I actually enjoyed it. I mean, it doesn't hold a candle to the original Ghostbusters, but I didn't think it was as bad as everybody said. I mean, I'm going to throw it over to you here. You did. Oh, I, I hate Ghostbusters Answer the Call. I hate it so much. In fact, watching it for this podcast was like the most painful thing I have <laughs> done. And I think the thing that really bothers me is I actually, like, I love Kristen Wiig. I love Kate McKinnon. They're very talented, very funny. Just on SNL, watching it, I don't know that the jokes land and they don't seem to flow as naturally as they do in the first one. My bigger issue with Ghostbusters Afterlife is- You said first... Afterlife again, but you're talking about Answer the Call. <laughs> 
You're talking about Answer the Call. I love Ghostbusters <laughs> Afterlife for the record. When I watch Ghostbusters Answer the Call, it's missing the heart of the original Ghostbusters. Okay. There's something relatable. You know, we talked about this on the Total Rewind episode. We can all understand these guys. We've been there when we've lost out on big opportunities and we ventured out on our own trying to do something new. And there's an energy and there's a magic and there's something lovable and relatable in the original Ghostbusters. I don't feel like it is there in Ghostbusters Answer the Call. I will tell you though, I think Afterlife, though it's very different than the original Ghostbusters in tone, style, type of story, does a better job of tapping into that heart. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, like you said, Afterlife is interesting because they no longer set Ghostbusters in New York City. They're setting it in, where was it, Oklahoma? Or... Yeah, Oklahoma. It's not and... set up as a comedy first and foremost, right? It's right, like yeah. It's kind of more of, of an adventure. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like a coming of age adventure. And it has humor and it has heart. There, It's used much more sparingly where even the original Ghostbusters, I mean, it's a comedy, yeah, yeah. right? It's a high concept comedy, but it is a comedy. I can't, oh my God, there's so many. I, we already did it. We did that episode. I won't, I won't dive into original Ghostbusters. Afterlife, something else that I thought really kind of worked was they actually had it be descendants of Egon from a story standpoint to kind of connect these kids and this younger generation to the older generation. So they weren't just like, you know, hey, uh, we're going to start up Ghostbusters again and raise, you know, funding it. It, it was like, no, I mean, they're actual descendants of Egon in the story. So I thought that worked really well. But what do you think of moving Ghostbusters out of New York? That was a little jarring. Again, this is not the original Ghostbusters film. And I think part of the problem when we watch Answer the Call is they're trying to recreate the original Ghostbusters, right? Just, uh, you're going to fail. Exactly. You know um, what? I take that back. There was one instance where I remember saying that. I was like, you're going to fail. And I was wrong. And that was when Christopher Nolan decided to bring back the Joker. I'm not even talking about the casting of Heath Ledger. I just remember they were bringing back the Joker. And I was like, ooh, bad decision. Batman has so many villains to choose from. And I was like, you're going to pick the Joker again. Like no one's going to top Jack Nicholson. Don't even try. And for everyone that does try to top that great original, I mean, every once in a while we get that diamond in the rough and you get Heath Ledger's Joker, which was incredible. No, absolutely. I mean, it seems like, I guess what I'm saying is it seems like a no brainer, like don't do it. But Sometimes someone's vision is good enough. I get what you're saying. When you look at Answer the Call and you look at the original, I mean, they didn't get it. And I think that this goes into another thing we hate about studios, which is once you decide to reboot a property, we've talked about this a lot. How do you walk the line between respecting what came first and respecting the existing property and letting fans know that you respect it versus nostalgia for the sake of nostalgia fan service approach that it seems like a lot of studios get caught up in. And there's a few things that have navigated that really well, but it's a very fine line to walk. You know, that was something that I actually had a little issue with when it came to Force Awakens, Star Wars again. I felt that they had these cameos by the original cast and they were these great kind of little moments in the film, but they felt more like they were, uh, you know, there to get the audience to be like, oh my gosh like for instance Han and Chewie board the Falcon the whole audience erupts he's like Chewie we're home but the characters on the Falcon don't know those you know that was more for us I think yeah that moment than it was necessarily to serve the story per se that's a problem I think Ghostbusters Afterlife does struggle with a little bit they are recycling a lot of elements from the original particularly the villain Evo Shandor 
Gozer. They reuse, you know, the Zool line, the dogs. They're constantly doing these kind of reveals throughout the film, whether it's Ecto-1 or a proton pack, a trap. Mm -hmm. You know, they're Mm -hmm. constantly kind of like planting these. And I did feel like a couple of the times I was kind of like, listen, guys, you're really lingering on this buildup to the reveal of what's under the sheet. And I was like, I think we all know, you know, I don't know that it needs to be so drawn out and built so much anticipation for something. I'm like, dude, we came to a Ghostbusters film. Like we know. You're right. I do feel like in that sense, Afterlife uses those elements, but it's really doing it in a way that's trying to build on what was before and also present something familiar because it feels so fish out of water being in Oklahoma. So they they actually do it quite well, I would say. Well, kind of has, yeah, go ahead. I think when you compare it to Answer the Call, Answer the Call brings forth those same elements, right? Three of the original Ghostbusters reappear. The Secretary reappears. The Stay Puft Marshmallow Man reappears, right? We see yeah. Ecto-1. We see the original Ghostbuster building. Like there's the same logo. There's Slimer. All these things that we know from the first one But part of the problem is they almost feel solely there for the sake of fan service to be like, look, like, hey, look at this. This is a cool nod to the movie you really thought you were seeing. Yeah, it is Ghostbusters, you know. It's it's a tough line to walk because you want to be able to get the fans excited. You want them involved, but at the same time, don't want to do things just for the sake of doing them. I do feel like being descendants of Egon, uh, his grandkids and his daughter, it does make those moments more impactful because they're learning about their lineage rather than just like, oh, we happened to stumble. Like, we bought the old building and found this shit in the basement. And from a story point, right, the fact that we're resurrecting the villain of Gozer again, some of those callbacks to the original are rooted in the events of the film. So they do have more justification for being there for that reason. Totally agree. I didn't hate the resurrection of Gozer. Unfortunately, I don't think Gozer was used any differently than in the original. Mm -hmm. Just kind of of like a stand-in villain there wasn't they didn't really add a new dimension it was kind of like i'm back you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> same exact even to the degree that they literally had gozer look the same even though there are explicit lines that gozer can be whatever it wants to be apparently it wants to be the exact same thing so i was kind of like i guess could have seen gozer take a different form i think the big culmination obviously was getting to that point where the original Ghostbusters showed up. Again, they're having fun. They're repeating lines from the original, but that's why they're there. If you're ever going to do that, that's the moment to do it. There's the final shot, which kind of bookends for an audience what we've been waiting for, which is we just want to see the Ghostbusters one more time. Yeah. And we got it. Something else that stands out to me, I did feel like if we're comparing the two, I felt like Answer the Call definitely embodies the comedy aspect with much more respect to the original than the new one. And I know you hated the jokes but i found part of it funny i thought you know that was a standout which was this one it definitely felt more fast-paced more comedic it definitely felt more like the original in its style where the afterlife definitely did not the other thing that really weirded me out about answer the call is the color grading it's hmm, almost like batman forever-esque if you watch it. <laughs> like i was watching and i was like this is just really weird decisions that they made and what i don't that know guy's name? joel schumacher yeah it was very bright of 
vibrant, vibrant color palette. I mean, something else I want to say about that Oklahoma town in Afterlife, it apparently was always either sunrise or sunset is what it looked like. At least that's when all the events happened. What do you think of uh, Muncher as the stand-in for Slimer? I kind of liked it because at first I didn't get it. I was like, okay, cool ghost, right? Which I like. I think you got to add, it's Ghostbusters. You got to add some cool ghosts. So I was like, okay, that's cool. But then to use it as a plot device, I was like, all right, there we go. I thought that was cool. Jason Reitman was very determined. He has a line where he's like, Slimer's like kind of like a, he's not, he's sort of a nasty dude in the first Ghostbusters. And over time, he's been watered down into a joke. I think in the cartoon, right? He's even sort of their like sidekick pet at the- Yeah, I know. He's like a firehouse dog. Um, I thought it was a good choice. And I did like that it worked in the story. So I I don't have any issues. What do you think of kids versus adults? So- the shifting of the main characters kind of becoming these young kids, middle school, high school age kids. I think the oldest being the girl that worked at the restaurant. She was 17, Lucky. down to 15, down. What do you think of that? Because that's interesting if they're going forward. You know, these aren't the way the original Ghostbusters is. They're almost presented as like entrepreneurs or small business owners, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not necessarily old enough to like pick up that mantle yet. I thought it was a creative decision. I think there was a lot of intention behind it. For one, Afterlife ended with the setup for it seems like a sequel will be coming. I can only think that part of the idea is we can still involve these older Ghostbuster characters if it involves them kind of continuing to mentor and pass the torch onto the next generation. And if it's going to be the next generation, make them be young so you can milk a couple movies out of them. But I also think this is a very conscious decision decision by the studio to tap into the Stranger Things effect that we see so many things leaning into over the last five years. To the point that they're casting Stranger (laughs) Things. Yeah, I was going to say, they literally have uh, one of the Stranger Things characters this movie, but it was a great change of direction. It has the sense of new stories, right? No matter how it goes after this, it's going to be a new fun adventure. That's great because we had our passing of the torch moment now. Right. Ghostbusters can live on the iconography, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, all the stuff that when we were talking earlier about studios rebooting franchises, that's really this is the movie that you need to transition because I ultimately right. I know obviously we said earlier, like it being kind of woke, you know, turn the Ghostbusters into girls type scenario. Honestly, I think if you were to cast even male comedians, they're just never going to live up to the original in this sense. Mm-hmm. If you're just going to remake it, that's a, that's a tall order. Exactly. And I think that's the problem. And if these four female actresses had come in under a story device, which is picking up where the old Ghostbusters left off, yeah. I think it would have been received very differently than what is almost an attempt to just remake something that you really don't need to remake because it's freaking perfect. You know, I've always said like Star Wars A New Hope. I'm like, don't remake it. Wizard of Oz. It doesn't need to be remade. If you want to do a different spin on it or you want to do a Broadway play, like I get it. Romeo and Juliet has been converted and redone. You know, great stories get repackaged all the time. I'm not hating them. Like if you're just going to remake A New Hope, I just don't see it. And that, you know, Ghostbusters is one of those movies. It's kind of like uh, if I was to tell you like, yo, they're going to remake Back to the Future. You're like, why? Why would you do that? Right. 
and as fans, we dealt with this 10 years ago when they told us they were going to reboot Indiana Jones. Great. We would all love to see Indiana Jones. He is a, a, you know, everyone's favorite character. And then when we went to see it, it just, it didn't feel like Indiana Jones. It was a different tone. It was a different style. It was clearly trying to set up the continuation of the Indiana Jones storyline with a new character. As audiences, we just didn't buy it. We, 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 did, we didn't want to have it. Yeah. And you're talking about four Kingdom of Crystal Skull. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, can we just acknowledge like as much as I know they wanted to pass the baton to like Shia LaBeouf don't name your character Mutt I just <laughs> that is not I hate that like and like with that movie right like the first scene is opens up with Indiana Jones's hat blowing and he puts it on and you hear the theme and you're like yes this is Indiana Jones and that is the peak and from that moment they just keep chipping away at everything that we love from the first three Indiana Jones films I don't know what the studio's rationale is but again they needed this approach that afterlife took which is hey we're going to pass off the mantle but it's it's still going to hold true to what fans originally wanted yeah you know what's crazy is i remember watching indiana jones 4 and they did that scene with the ants where they like they're all CG. And I was like, this is totally unbelievable. And then I went back and watched, what was the second one? Temple of Doom. Yeah. And like, they have this opening scene where they're on a raft. And I was like, oh shit, I was wrong. I was like, they've been doing <laughs> wild shit this whole time. They literally like go off a waterfall where you're like, you would die. I mean, there's just no way. Don't th- I think they ride the raft outside of the airplane and like slide down the mountain all the way to yeah. the valley below. It's like, like ridiculous. I was like, so I guess I was wrong. I was like, this doesn't feel like Indiana Jones at all. And then I went back and watched Temple of doom and i was like oh god they weren't great they weren't all great it was really just one and three i mean temple of doom is good in its own respects which i i don't remember this as a kid but did you know temple of doom is actually like a prequel yeah to yeah raiders? it takes place like 10 years before raiders what the hell dude you gotta watch your movies man <laughs> no i mean i've known this for a while now but i remember as a kid i thought i always thought it was a sequel well it came after so i guess yeah I, was, I guess yeah that was I, the thought thought process there never gave it much thought i was like stupid getting back to uh going to see afterlife i mean i can say at least when it comes to afterlife i got to see that one in theaters answer the call you know rented and, and watched at home the theater experience if you get a chance obviously uh enhances just how you perceive the movie because I don't know about you, but even watching Answer the Call at home this last week in preparation for the podcast, like, you know, I had my phone, people called me during it. You, you know, you don't get to sit there and just total bliss. So, I mean, first of all, I, I just love going to movie theaters. But Nice plug. <laughs> yeah, miss you, movie pass. So I have a question for you, right? Yeah. Ghostbusters 2 is kind of the typical sequel. Kind of tries to hit the beats of the original. It's not as successful. In most regards, no one thinks it's better than the original. Very but you're like, okay, I mean, it, we could see the same characters again, right? Then with Ghostbusters Answer the Call, they did what studios dread. They made the monumental mistake of trying the reboot that failed miserably. Mm-hmm. And with Afterlife, they seem to have got it right. So it's really kind of an interesting study yeah in franchise management because they sort of have yeah. done it all at this point. My question to you is, can you think of some other properties that have successfully walked the line of rebooting? I can. You know, two of the biggest ones that really stand out to me are uh, Batman and James Bond. Okay. Again, when Christopher Nolan took over Batman, what he really did was he went back to comic book origins. He brought a kind of, you know, I think a lot of people actually 
when Batman Begins came out, they were like, this is like if Batman was real, you know, but going, <laughs> yeah. as we mentioned earlier, from the Joel Schumacher films and Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze, I mean, the, <laughs> the shift in tone, the respect that was then paid to the comics and the character really endeared itself to audiences, I think. Yeah, It's funny because if you actually look at James Bond and Daniel Craig, in a lot of respects, it's the same thing. They, the real they actually go from that Pierce Brosnan, like kind of cartoonish cars and tools and, and weapons. And he's going to like ice palaces and they're surfing into war zones and like... <laughs> It's like outlandish. And then they reground it almost immediately in Casino Royale in the first 10 minutes in that chase seats mm-hmm. where it's like, yo, this is this is what this is going to be. It's going to be me punching a guy jumping off a crane. Yeah. But I think in both those instances, the reason why it worked was because the artists that were in charge of the story went back to the origins of what made each of those characters great. Okay. It's hard. It's hard to do. You know, we've seen Spider-Man rebooted uh, twice. Uh, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and now Tom Holland, Spider-Man's. And they all, I mean, they all actually kind of have a unique take. Uh, Mm. They're very different. It's hard though, because if you're trying to do something different, which I think, you know, for instance, Batman Forever is trying to do, it's trying to separate itself from the Tim Burton Batmans, which mad props to those movies. It's amazing. You know, they really did go different. And it's funny because if you actually go back and look at, you know, kind of contemporary reviews, especially how us as, you know, younger kids at that time saw those movies, they weren't poorly poorly receptive even i think we we talked about when we did the james bond pierce brosnan's die another day versus no time to die if you go back and look at contemporary reviews they didn't hate it and now it's like if you watch it i would assume most critics would be like yeah this isn't very good it's like franchises kind of have to go through this in order to uh kind of get back to the origins of what made something great what about you? Like, what do you think? What's another franchise that stands out to you as something that was able to reboot something successful? I have two off the top of my head with the Rocky series. It kind of became a joke. The latter Rockies were so absurd and just not. <laughs> You're like, okay, Stallone's like 70. Why is he still in the ring? And so when they introduced the Creed films following up, it got back to, as you said, kind of what made the original Rockies endearing. It was that very human story about this guy down on his luck and overcoming. And and the Creed stories got back to that. And I thought that was a great one. Another one that I think's done it really well, which also we we talked about in the early days of this podcast, the Fast and Furious films. I think in, in that one, the producers are very aware of what audiences want want and they we have seen the evolution from this underground street racing film to this global spy thrillers because they know that as audiences what we want to see is we want to see our cast and we want to see them going around the world and doing bigger badder more ridiculous things and within those movies they know that for most cases, audiences don't really care about the realism. They want to have the fun. And they have leaned into that through each of the now kind of three different iterations of Fast and the Furious through the 10 movies. Well, it's fascinating you bring that up because Fast and the Furious itself has been rebooted almost in real time. You know, we were talking about Ghostbusters having like, what, 25-ish years, you know, between the last sequel and the new next movie. That's interesting because, like you said, that's a a studio having the pulse of their franchise in the moment. They're not losing it. They're making Mm -hmm. it better. 
as they mm-hmm. go. Yeah, that's been remarkable to watch because the, I don't know how, I'm not exactly sure how much movies or how much money that franchise has made, but it's one of the most successful movie franchises of all time. I think it's top 10, Yeah, which is wild. That, you know what else is wild is that top 10 probably is also Transformers. I guess those movies made a ton of money too. When you compare one of the most recent films, the Bumblebee film, right? It's kind of that same, let's reset it and get back to something more akin to what this fan base wants. I guess, you know, if we're going to end it, I wanted to talk a little bit just about fan bases and their expectations. How how do studios, because I think Star Wars, again, is a great example, but for this podcast, because we're going to talk about, we're going to do Star Wars on this show. We're going to have that episode and it's probably going to be like two hours long. We're probably also going to do an accompany episode where we just watch it and record ourselves <laughs> watching it. For this you know, the Ghostbusters franchise. And it, when you look more specifically at the fan base, you have to walk a line between giving fans what they want, but also giving them something they never knew they wanted. That's probably the hardest thing to accomplish because most of the time, right, people think they know what they want. Uh, again, Heath Ledger's joke. Everybody's like, hey, listen, we know what we want. It's Jack Nicholson as a Joker. It's amazing. But they're like, no, listen, we know you guys want the joke because he's awesome, but we can't do Jack Nicholson. So they come up with this different take, but you're like, wow, blow me away. I don't know that Ghostbusters Afterlife or Answer the Call necessarily got all the way there to where everybody was like blown away and like, oh, here we go. Like, this is so dope. I cannot wait for the next one. I think the problem was that Answer the Call didn't get people excited for the franchise, right? Afterlife did. I think they have successfully gotten people invested in the future of the franchise. And whatever that takes, whether all the characters are coming back, and I have to give a big shout out. What was the girl's, the little girl's name in Afterlife? Uh, Phoebe. Phoebe. Excellent performance. She stole the show. Can we also acknowledge that we had female Ghostbusters in Afterlife and they were awesome. That argument is basically a fallacy. What does that matter? She was she was incredible. True. No, that's a good I, point. I thought she stole the show. She was my favorite character. Uh, you know, I look forward to seeing her in future Ghostbusters sequels. You know, I think where Afterlife succeeds but didn't necessarily blow us away was that they were able to, you know, kind of get us excited. It's not going to win any Oscars and... There's nothing as iconic as the Joker. You know, they they didn't yeah. necessarily knock it out of the park, but I'm excited. And that's a good thing. No, you know, I think good. at a minimum, when you're trying to get a, a franchise off the ground again, it's about the best you can do. You know, the 2016 Ghostbusters, if it had just been approached a certain way, I think they could have gotten it there with respect to the original. It just doesn't get people excited, I don't think. I think you watch it and you're kind of like, oh, it was good. I mean, whatever. Or, you know, if you're you, you're like, it was bad. But (laughs) it doesn't necessarily get you to be like, oh, man, I want to come back for more. And that's where Afterlife succeeds to me. That kind of highlights the difference between the two. And why people are psyched about the proposed Afterlife sequel where they weren't about the proposed, you know, answer the call sequel. Can we just say that that scene where the one kid drives the ecto-1 through the field i was like if you've ever driven through a field there's just no way like you're <laughs> it would never be that butter smooth like you would be bouncing all over the place it'd be, it'd be wild i've on driven off road on that same note can we also give a shout out to thor himself for being so freaking awesome in answer the call and such a comedic genius oh yeah he was hilarious he was a highlight you could tell he was just loving this kind of new role instead of being thor even when they turn him evil at the end and all that like it was I, I really liked it i thought chris hemsworth just knocked that one out of the park he was really funny i certainly didn't hate answer the call as much as you know rotten tomatoes would have you believe 
you know, or CP. <laughs> Sorry, America, just just not a fan. You know, I, I guess you know it's very rare. I guess that I truly like hate a movie. I'm trying to think, what's a movie I hate? So even that one, I found things to to like in it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to sequels. So you know, obviously, we get to the end of our episode and we ask ourselves, which one did it better? And I think I'm gonna have to go with Ghostbusters Afterlife. Well, you so, know, obviously, I'm gonna say the same thing. Audience, if you haven't checked it out, you should. It's it's fun getting to see Ghostbusters in theater again. So take you know, if, of it. if they put the 1984 Ghostbusters in theater again, I would pay to go see that. I've never seen Ghostbusters on the big screen, and I know it's out there because they do it in around Halloween. The closest I've ever come is there used to be a uh, well, it's still there. I actually just went this year, but there's a haunted house back home in Indiana called Niles Haunted House. And they always put up a big screen and they play like a Halloween movie during that season. And one time it was Ghostbusters. And I went and we went through the haunted house and then we got to watch it on the big screen. And uh, <laughs> pretty it awesome. It was amazing. Yeah. Now I got to see it in a theater though. Dude, that would be fun. This was basically in the middle of a field in the middle of nowhere. Did you ever have the toy proton packs? Oh, dude, totally. I had the proton packs. I had the, I had the, the slime packs. Yeah. Yeah. I love action figures, man. the pajamas. Yeah, man. Yeah, Ghostbusters are the best. So we'll throw it to you guys, our listeners, and let us know what you think. If you've had a chance to see both movies, which one do you think did it better? If you haven't seen both movies, but maybe you've seen one or the other, how do you think they compare to the original? And more importantly, how do you think the studios handled the kind of reboot aspect? Because this is really one of those great examples of like how to get it right and how to get it wrong. I'm curious what everybody else's thoughts are. And this is going to be an ongoing debate, right? Franchises get rebooted all the time. Who knows? Maybe we will get that Back to the Future reboot. Pretty sure we probably will. Let us know your thoughts. Subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review. You can find us on Apple Podcasts as well as the Google Podcasts app. And you can subscribe on YouTube and find us on all the major social media channels. If you're unsure of exactly what to type in, just go to Google and type in Filmmakers Compass Podcast and our website CP, I'm going to throw it over to you. Let's go ahead. On that note, thanks for talking Ghostbusters with us. In the meantime, you keep watching movies and we're going to see you next week.